Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, this night we have a message, this Monday, Thursday evening, we have a message that's easy to understand and a gift that's beyond explanation. The message is simple. Jesus loves us. The gift is a wonder. Jesus, in love, has given us his true body and true blood in, with, and under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. But as our reading just now from John 13 showed us, before he instituted that sacrament with his disciples, he did something unexpected and extraordinary. He showed them his love by taking on a lowly servant's role and washing their feet. And then he gave them a new command to take that example and imitate it. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. But there is one important sense in which no disciple of Christ, no matter how devoted or pious, could ever love as he has loved us. None of us could ever take away another's sins or save another's soul from death and hell. Only Jesus could ever do that. And that is exactly what we see him doing as this night progresses from supper to prayer, from betrayal to, to trial, from scourging to sentence, all the way to crucifixion on the hill they called Calvary. Because Jesus loves us. What is in Christ's heart overflows and, and pours out in order to make us clean. Not a mere outward cleansing like a one-time washing of dirt from the feet, limited to eleven disciples and a traitor, but a lasting and certain cleansing of filth from our hearts. Jesus loves to the end. His own end, the pouring out of His own blood from the veins of the Lamb of God, pumped from the heart of the perfect Passover Lamb to preserve us from the plague of sin that brings certain death and destruction. Let's think for a moment about the natural condition of our hearts and what it means that Jesus came to cleanse them. Imagine that our congregation or our Lutheran culture had a practice, as some churches and Christians do, of directly imitating what Jesus did that first night, or did first that night, washing each other's feet. Now, you probably would not find it such a big deal to wash a fellow believer's feet when, when she slips off her heels and stockings or his shoes and socks. The, the dirt would be minimal, and, and you'd see your actions as almost entirely symbolic. But imagine instead that you were called on to wash the feet of Joe Fepke of Fepke's Septic Service. Immediately after he climbed up out of the muck in the bottom of a septic tank that burst because it hadn't been emptied in 16 years, you would recoil in disgust. 
Holding your nose wouldn't even be an option because, well, you'd need both hands to wash Joe's feet. But you, you wouldn't even let yourself get close enough to, to consider that. Even if you hosed him off from 15 feet away, you probably still wouldn't want to be near enough to show him the love of washing his feet. And yet, he would need to be made clean more in that moment than any other. Now multiply the disgust with which you would greet Joe Fepke's feet. Multiply that by the highest number you can comprehend, and that might give you an idea of the way that the perfect and holy Son of God would see the sin, the filth in your heart and my heart. It isn't just the guilt that we inherit through our parents all the way down from Adam and Eve, though that would be offensive enough. It is instead, or in addition, the sum total of every rebellious thought, every careless word, and every godless act from every moment of our lives. Sum total, because, of course, we are never able to rid ourselves of any of it on our own, neither through our best efforts or our sincerest apologies. So all of our untruths and insults, our disregard for God's Word and disobedience of His commands, our sexual fantasies and our covetous materialism, our foul speech and false witness, and of course, all our failures to love each other, to love our husbands and wives, our children, our neighbors, to love everyone as Christ has loved us, all of it accumulates and adds to the heaping pile of stink that is the stench in God's nostrils and the cause and curse of our our much-deserved death and damnation to hell. By all rights, the Son should see this, smell this, and look away from us forever wanting nothing to do with anyone whose heart is so full of filth. But Jesus loves us. A little later that Thursday evening, he repeated his command to the disciples and explained what his kind of love leads to. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. That is what he did. He laid down his life for them and for us, for all people. He didn't turn away. He didn't hold his nose. He plunged right in to save us so that we would not perish. The Son of God condescended to take on human flesh and then submitted to the the greatest of indignities and the deepest agonies of death on a cross. As He made Himself our sacrifice, the blood that flowed from His generous heart washed our hearts clean from their filth. And now, now we no longer deserve death or hell and sin and Satan no longer have mastery over us. John says it so beautifully and simply in his first letter. 
the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And his blood is what he gives us with his body in the Lord's Supper. Every time a repentant disciple of Christ partakes of communion, he or she receives what Jesus came and died to give us. Forgiveness of sins, new life, salvation. Now, can we explain how it can be both bread and Christ's body and both wine and Christ's blood at the same time working this wonder of restoration in and for us? No, we cannot explain it. But we do not need to make it reasonable. We need only to take Jesus at his word. He told us what his supper is, and he told us what it does. We believe and we receive. Which means that right now, we also hunger and thirst. We have been prevented from celebrating the sacrament. Our altar is empty. And we do not know when we will be able to do this again. And on this night, when we especially commemorate Christ's giving us His Holy Supper, we feel its absence most keenly. And that is a good thing, that we feel that. We should miss it. We should long for it. Let this absence be a lasting reminder to us of what a treasure communion truly is and how perfectly and powerfully it strengthens our faith. I don't know, and we haven't discussed it, but maybe, maybe we'll want to have it every week once we get back to meeting in person again. My heart needs Christ's body and blood. I know yours does too. But even as we lament the loss of our regular feast of forgiveness and our special celebration of the sacrament on this Holy Thursday, we can still rejoice and give thanks for this glorious and gracious gift. It is the gift of a Lord who loved us with the truest and deepest of loves, the love that gives its life to keep us from perishing. And this, after all, is what happens when his heart meets ours. He sees our filth and determines to remove it so that we can be restored to fellowship with him and his Father. And so he pours out his blood and washes us clean. For this, we thank him. For this, we hunger and thirst. And this we trust and hold on to with all we have and, and with all the Spirit gives us until that day. Until that day when we eat and drink together with Christ our Passover, the Lamb in His Father's kingdom. Amen. Please rise. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.